56 different artists from all sorts of different countries, lots of different perspectives, and so much of the work engages with or otherwise um, shows language. Mm, um, I, I mean, it's true. literally in yep. another language. Yep. Or I think shows the importance of language to understand and to accommodate human migration, yeah, basically. Yeah. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Leah Sweet discusses the current exhibit on global migration and movement at Cornell's Johnson Museum of Art. Plus, we discuss the value of museums for language learning. We're back for a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media development manager. Today, we have Leah Sweet in the studio with us. Leah is the Lynch Curatorial Coordinator for Academic Programs at the Herbert F. Johnson Museum of Art on Cornell's campus. We will discuss how museums can be integrated into language teaching and hear more about the current Johnson exhibition of contemporary art about the movement of people across the globe. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Leah. Thank you for having me. So before we get into all the work that you do at the Johnson working with educators and this current exhibition, can you share with us a little bit about your background with languages? What languages do you speak? How did you learn them? Sure. Um, language for me has been something very deliberate that I've sought out in mm -hmm. my life. Um, I think the first foreign language that I lear started learning was when I was 12, and I started taking French. Okay. And I just fell in love. Mm -hmm. And so I speak French, German. I know Spanish, and I okay. know some Russian. Nice. And it's all from classroom instruction. Okay. Mm. But then also as a prelude to going to those countries, and really that's how I've learned how to speak mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. languages. Mm -hmm. I mean, having the structure and everything is really helpful. But sure. For me, learning a language only comes from immersion, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you utilize any of those languages in your work right now, or have you in the past? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so as an art historian, you have to know German and at least uh -huh. one other language to do <laughs> graduate work. Yeah, yeah. And for me, my field is you know, modern and contemporary German art. I spent a lot of time in Germany right after college uh -huh. um, on a fellowship through the Bosch Stiftung, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. Bosch Foundation. Um, and that level of language knowledge, going back to Germany to do doctoral dissertation work, mm -hmm. I had access to things that I could never have thought if mm. I didn't have that language ability. Mm -hmm. And moreover, I don't think I could have formulated the direction and focus of my dissertation if I hadn't been able to thoroughly mm -hmm. research um, German-speaking sources as well. Sure. Yeah. Great, dear listeners, and this is one of the many reasons why we learn languages. <laughs> <laughs> so how did your interest in art history develop? 
Mm. So I was a French major as an undergrad um, at the University of Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and I spent my junior year abroad in Paris, which was just phenomenal. Nice. It was wonderful. (laughs) Um, And part of that wonderfulness was actually there were quite a few art history, French art history classes taught Mm. in French Mm -hmm. um, that I took. And Talk about having the opportunity to take medieval art and architecture and you're literally going around to yeah. like Moissac and, and Vézelay and, you know, Autun wow. and all the other like Romanesque abbeys and cathedrals and yeah. not to mention, all, you know, other ones as well. Or you're, you know, learning about Impressionism and you're just like, oh, let's go to the Musée d'Orsay and yeah. check it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just thought, wow, this is the best. And so it really <laughs> took... The, what I loved about languages, the traveling, the knowing about different ways of thinking about the world, mm. different ways of describing and conceptualizing the world. And then there were amazing pictures and objects to mm-hmm. go with it mm-hmm. as well. And it really, that just sparked. And I knew I 100% um, junior year left Paris thinking, yep, I am definitely mm. going to be an art historian. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's wonderful. So how did you end up then at the Johnson here at Cornell? So um, I was a faculty at the new school for a while, mm-hmm. um, both as an adjunct and as an assistant professor. And I really loved, of course, teaching and mm-hmm. uh, working with the students. But what I missed a lot was um, the reach, I guess, it mm. seemed limited. I had wonderful students in my classes, but I only taught certain classes mm-hmm. and only had certain students to work with. Uh, and I found that what I loved the most was collaborating with other professors in other schools mm-hmm. at the new school on projects that were interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I also I missed, even though I was working on my own kind of research at the time, I really missed being amongst objects in mm. the museum. Mm. Okay. And I had never really thought that I wanted to be in a museum. I very decidedly took an academic track that mm-hmm. would put me into the academy as opposed to yeah. a museum per se. But the Johnson Museum is an academic museum, so it is mm-hmm. absolutely the best of both worlds. Yeah. Can you talk a little more about the role of museums in education, especially museums on university campuses? So, yeah, I mean, an academic museum is definitely a different beast than, say, the Met or something like that, in that we are part of Cornell. So we are a teaching institution Mm -hmm. as well as a research institution. And our job is to really be both a resource on campus and also a driver of conversations as well. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ways... um, that we are really critical to learning all across campus is grounding active learning with Mm. object-based learning as well. So there's really something magical that happens when you take students out of the classroom, you bring them to the museum, and they're confronted with an object that might be centuries old or it might be made last year. And the kind of text that they're reading in the classroom and the things that they're thinking about theoretically to confront them with often something that is in itself a document Mm -hmm. of history, Mm -hmm. but to understand that in a different way and to help someone pick that apart. I mean, I often say 
we're taught, especially in the American system, how to read an essay, mm-hmm. how to write about a novel, even sure. how to to uh, read a poetry. Yeah. But we're not really taught how to intellectually engage with objects, let yeah, alone yeah. images, even mm-hmm. though I guess um, certainly visual literacy is something that is being sure. uh, fostered quite a bit more than, say, when I was in yeah. uh, high school. Mm-hmm. And so it's really wonderful to let students come into a museum and say, you know, you bring perspective and knowledge and experience. Mm-hmm. And instead of running to the label to understand what this is, to first stop and encounter it and see what you can make of it and to give them the tools for that and then to walk through maybe other sources that tell us more information is really meaningful. And Mm -hmm. having the students come to conclusions or understand an object Mm -hmm. with prompts instead of me just telling them about it, I think really solidifies a lot of the experience that they have in a very fresh and different way. Yeah, that's great. So... Since we are a podcast about languages and language learning and teaching, how can exhibitions or objects be integrated specifically into language teaching and learning? Can you maybe talk a little bit about some of the departments, the language programs that you have worked with here on campus and what what activities you suggest that people do or what you've seen, what professors have done? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we work with every school on campus, mm-hmm. you know, you name it, they've been to the Johnson Museum, mm-hmm. which is really wonderful. And I think for language classes specifically, what's been really great is in the past two years, we've switched from doing a more, we'll take you around mm-hmm. and show you. So if you're in a French class, we're going to show you works by French mm-hmm. artists. Sure. And I'm, as the guide, may or may not speak French mm-hmm. and but I'm going to tell you about this culturally, to switching to a model that is more um, instructor-driven on the Mm -hmm. day of the visit, Mm -hmm. but is prepared with me, um, essentially, so that the class can take place in the language it's supposed to. Nice, yeah. uh, And that the objects can be used as prompts Mm -hmm. to really... You know, at any level, we have. I have um, a whole bunch of activities that I've been working on, and I'm really hoping to develop more for mm-hmm. language instruction. Everything from informal activities that encourage students to use descriptive language, mm-hmm. and then to mm-hmm. think about their choices, and then how that has affected their description, to um, using the work to. So, for example. Uh, a class that we had come in that was reading something about um, like existential and post-war French mm-hmm. uh, theory and, yeah. and such. Um, and we have a wonderful de buffet painting that is, you know, La Bouche en Croissant. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and <laughs> the, and it really is this kind of mask of course for him very mask like you can't really tell is he smiling or is Mm. it anxiety and you know really fitting for this kind of idea i think it's 46 or something like that and so one of the things that we did or that i came up with for the class was okay since there's this ambiguity and you're already reading about this time period you have a sense of what's going on um think and write down in French, uh, what do you think this person is saying? Yeah. 
And so they did that individually, and then they broke into groups and then used those lines mm-hmm. and then came up with a poem. Oh, wow. That they arranged on the floor huh. of the museum. Yeah. So that communally, in say a group of uh, five or six, yeah. they together captured um, a lot of what huh. they thought that person was saying. Mm-hmm. And then we expanded that into um, a discussion of yeah. how what they said reflected what they had learned in the mm-hmm. classroom and what they knew about the time period while giving them a little bit more information about the artist mm-hmm. and the process of that art mm-hmm. and how that reflected that mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about some best practices or ideas um, that you have for instructors to make use of art in class? Absolutely. So um, I would say one of the best things to think about is have a reason to be at the museum. Um, And that it can be as simple as I want to get the students out of the classroom Mm -hmm. and I want to get them, you know, show them that the Johnson exists. Sure. Which is an absolutely wonderful reason to bring your students (laughs) to the museum. And we have everything between that and people who come repeatedly or even hold their class at the museum every single week mm. um, and have multiple yeah. written assignments that sure. are based on the art that we have available. So certainly having a reason to be at the museum. And when I what I mean by that is it should tie into what you're doing in yeah. class. Yeah. Um, a continuation or maybe a different way to explore the mm-hmm. same topic um, as opposed to it's a field trip because right, right. I've seen, you know, students' eyes just glaze over when they're like, oh, wait, this doesn't count. And <laughs> I don't really know why I'm here. Yeah. And they're on, and maybe they're not interested. And I could be incredibly interested. And the instructor could be incredibly interested in something. Sure. No guarantee that sure. the student of is course. going. If they, yeah. Especially if they don't know why they're mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So integrate it into the syllabus in some way. Have a any reason to be there. Mm-hmm. And I have all sorts of things online. If you go to museum.cornell.edu um, and you go to the education tab on the museum, the Johnson Museum's website for faculty and instructors, I have all sorts of resources available, suggested, I mean, literally best practices, mm. tips, mm-hmm. um, what to do if your class is really quiet, mm-hmm. um, suggested activities, informal activities to do in the galleries, suggested assignments, suggested yeah. writing assignments, formal and informal, um, and lots of worksheets that kind of Great. help students not only understand, say, something like visual analysis, so mm-hmm, what I was talking mm-hmm. about before with how to interrogate mm-hmm. a work of art, because who knows how to do that, you know, sure. when you're 18 and you're yeah. walking into a museum, <laughs> uh, but also, and how to break that down, but ekphrasis and all sorts of different ways to approach art mm-hmm. and have students have a kind of a guided experience without taking over the experience yeah. for yeah. them. So there's a whole, you know, buffet of options um, that are really there to help instructors create that connection. Mm -hmm. Are those resources only available to um, Cornell affiliates, or is that a public website, the educational piece? It is public, so anyone who's interested in checking it out um, can definitely look and browse through what we have, yeah. That's great. Um, So the current exhibition that is going on at the Johnson Museum is called How the Light Gets In. And I was fortunate enough, I've seen it now, um, or parts of it, three times. Um, I'm a repeat offender. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Excellent. It's it's a wonderful 
exhibition, and I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about exactly what it is. Um, I mean, we mentioned it's about the movement of people and migration, but can you tell us a little bit more about this exhibition and then how that could be integrated into language classrooms? Sure. Um, the show itself uh, takes a contemporary look at migration. So migration and contemporary art. Mm -hmm. It has two main focal points. One is the refugee crisis in Europe, mm -hmm. and the other one is the U.S.-Mexico border. Mm -hmm. So the show also looks at um, how migration has been formed, current migration has been formed over centuries mm -hmm. um, yeah. by things like colonialism, slavery, that sure. kind of thing. Uh, and so it's really amazing to see works that I think engage a viewer on a very personal mm -hmm. register without sensationalizing or aestheticizing the violence and and the hardship that comes along with a lot of yeah. migration. Yeah. I would say what's really wonderful is that it so many of the works in the show slow down our looking process mm. and engage yep. us in a way that's very different than reading about migration mm -hmm. in the news, seeing social media, you know, those images that we all kind of know in the mm -hmm. back of our head and the things that have happened that we know and they kind of, you know, pass through and, yeah. and maybe we remember them and maybe we don't. And I think there are so many beautiful works in this show yep. that really give insight into people's experience and focus uh, on people, ideas, and processes that are often hidden or interstitial or somehow marginalized mm -hmm. um, in a really poetic and um, beautiful and concentrated yeah. way. Yeah. So I think that's what the show does really well. Yeah. And the show runs through the end of this fall semester, is that correct? Yes. So okay. it is, um, up, well, all of our shows always run on a semester schedule mm -hmm. right. so that anyone who is interested in a show knows 100% it will still be up. Yeah, Even sure. if you want to take students the last day of class, uh -huh. it is still <laughs> there for you. Um, I think what's special about how the light gets in in particular is um, it just has so, it has 56 different artists from all sorts of, or more than that, from all sorts of different countries, yeah. um, lots of different perspectives, and so much of the work uh, engages with or otherwise um, shows language. Mm, um, true. I, I mean, it's true. literally in yep. another language, yep. mm -hmm. or I think shows the importance of language and creating the language. Mm -hmm. um, to understand and to accommodate human migration, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, I was really, I was having a conversation with uh, Professor Jolene Rickard about this, mm -hmm. uh -huh. and she has a wonderful work uh, in the show called Gaiaconio Return. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea, the importance of language in that piece yeah. Is really remarkable, mm -hmm. uh, and the idea of how language can also promote understanding and also make room. Mm -hmm. You know, if I know a few words in another language, I'm open or understanding in a way that I haven't mm -hmm. been before. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it's a really remarkable work. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Well, if you are in the area, um, definitely come to the Johnson Museum and check out this exhibition. 
Um, for more information, you can just go to museum.cornell.edu. Terrific. So before we sign off, uh, we'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language you speak or have learned, are learning, want to learn. So I'm ready to hear it. <laughs> well, I have so many. Uh. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and it's really hard to pick. Um, but I am going to go with a word that I learned very recently uh-huh. uh, at a an event that we put on at the museum. Uh, we have a series happening that's called Three Migrations That Have Shaped Ithaca. Mm. And the first one was focused on the Cayuga Nation. Mm -hmm. And I had used that verbiage um, and learned in the process that Cayuga is a mistranslation and a mispronunciation Mm -hmm. of the actual word, which is Gayaconio. Mm -hmm. So that is my favorite word. And I actually... Um, I believe that Professor Rickard also found for her students that she's teaching a class um, on Gayaconio uh, language with Steve Henhock. Mm-hmm. Both friends of our podcast. And, yeah, <laughs> man, yeah. and uh, I believe she found a wonderful app that you can actually, if you just search Cayuga yeah. on the app store, um, it, you know, and I've, I've I downloaded it. I've been perusing mm-hmm. it. And so I think it's just exactly. Yep. <laughs> we have it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you know one thing that was said at that um, at that event was there is a thought that maybe for like Cayuga Street is it? Mm-hmm. So for Cayuga Street, mm-hmm. uh, that there would be signage that has Gayaconio. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how amazing mm-hmm. would that be? Mm-hmm. How meaningful yep. to yeah. just have that language. Out in public like yeah. that. Yeah. I remember when, when Jolene was on the podcast, uh, she talked a fair bit about how acknowledging language helps mm-hmm. acknowledge people in a space and and how important that is, you know, especially for, for a culture that, you know, historically has been uh, erased from a lot of the spaces that were theirs. So. Yeah. I mean, that was very present, I think, at the speakers in that event, mm-hmm. really reinforced that. Um, and I thought to myself... You know, this is not only just fantastic to know, but it really shows you how you can keep learning languages throughout your life. And they have kind of different meaning and significance as you learn them, you know, throughout Mm -hmm. your life. Uh, So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Leah. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Awesome. Next week, Magda Weatherspoon and Tess Wheelwright will join us in the studio. They are collaborating on an exciting project to teach languages in prisons. Listen in to learn more about Cornell's prison education program from Tess and how Magda is teaching Arabic. Until then, auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners. And do stay tuned for our next episode.